Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sally Becker. And I'm Mark Dunlake. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with the story on an upcoming rally in Albany on January 6th to protect freedom and democracy. Then for our peace segment, we hear about Dr. King's opposition to militarism. Later on, Bria Barthel talks with the Lansenburg Public Library director about books about indigenous peoples and a children's book about here in snow. After that, Roman labor correspondent Willie Terry reports on a recent Toys for Toss event in Albany. And we finish up with the St. Rocco's Poetry Collective. And they are having a marathon reading of Midwinter Day, a book-length poem about the town of Lenox on Saturday, January 7th. But first, headlines. The town of Rensselaer County has reached an agreement on a four-year contract with the bargaining unit representing the largest group of county employees. The County and United States Service Employees Union announced earlier. The Schenectady Police this week did another search along the Mohawk River for 14-year-old Samantha Humphrey, who has been missing now for six weeks. While Governor Hochul recently signed the first state law in the county in the country, giving consumers the right to repair electronic devices like smartphones, advocates are unhappy about changes to weaken the law that Hochul required before signing it. One change pushed by the governor was to exclude equipment sold directly to businesses and governments, such as computers and tablets bought in bulk by schools. Another change was to drop the requirement that companies sell individual components rather than assembled parts. Governor Hochul did sign into law um, a bill to restore the state controller's oversight of contracts for the state's economic development program. Former Governor Cuomo had removed the controller's power shortly before his administration illegally rigged the bidding process for the Buffalo Billions. Anyone over the age of 18 will be able to obtain a one-day certificate to officiate at a wedding in New York by paying a $25 fee to the New York State Department of State. While the House apparently is still unable to elect a new speaker, the new list of committee chairs in the state legislature was released today. One notable local appointment was of Columbia County Assemblymember Dee Barrett, who is now the chair of the Energy Committee. Uh, the two new chairs of the Environmental Conservation Committees, both positions being vacant, are Assemblymember Deborah Glick of Manhattan and Senator Peter Harkham of the Lower Hudson Valley. That's it for headlines. For our first segment, groups will rally in Albany on Friday, January 6th at 5 p.m. to mark the two years since the attempted coup by Donald Trump. The focus of the National Day of Action is to protect our freedoms, our vote. Elisha Bacon of Mothers Out Front discusses the event with Mark. We're joined by Elisha Bacon, who is an organizer with uh, Mothers Out Front. And they're one of uh, a number of groups who are organizing 
I, I guess a protest, a rally on uh, Friday, uh, January uh, 6, I believe at 5 p.m., to, you know, sort of highlight the uh, January 6th insurrection and the need to follow up on that. So, uh, Elijah, why don't you tell us a little bit about the event and why the groups have decided to come together to put it uh, the event together? Sure. So, this is an um, a event that's happening uh, thanks to the um, Coalition, uh, Coalition for American Democracy, and that includes Public Citizen and a lot of other groups um, League of Women Voters, the national organization. And we've been doing several events uh, starting as early as summer 2021, in which I hosted a John Lewis vigil outside of uh, Chuck Schumer's office. Um, so we've been calling on really our government to protect our right to vote and to protect our democracy. Everything changed though when January 6th happened. And then we started to have events in addition to supporting the Freedom to Vote Act, but to also um, call attention to, uh, we want accountability for what happened on January 6th. And so um, just to make a note, uh, Mothers Out Front isn't advocating for the Freedom to Vote Act. That was prior to my work with Mothers Out Front, um, but Capital Region Mothers Out Front is part of a broad coalition of groups that are hosting this event on January 6th. Um, and we're getting together to call attention to the fact that the, the reason why we are able to organize and protest and use our, our collective voice and our people power is because we live in a democracy. And if our democracy falls, then our ability to pass climate change legislation our ability to get affordable housing, our ability to get all these other things that we are advocating for and that our communities need um, will vanish. And so we need to come together and to really stand up and say, it's important for the law to be applied equally to everyone. And that particularly means making sure that the people that are responsible for planning January 6th, not just the people who we're on the ground, but the actual people in positions of power that they are held accountable for their actions. And so we are getting together with Troy DSA, um, with the Working Families Party, with, um, we're sponsored by Food and Water Watch and uh, Rivers and Mountains Green Faith Circle. And we're coming together um, with the support of the Albany County League of Women Voters and um, some labor groups. And we're gonna be just having a simple visual at uh, South Swan um, at the East Capitol Park. And we're just going to be, um, you know, drawing attention to the fact that we have yet to see real accountability for what happened on that day. Now, honestly, one of the people who had a lot of power and a lot to do with January 6th was uh, ex-president uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the January 6th uh, investigation committee in the House has completed a work with a lot of pretty, uh, I guess, damning evidence about the role of not only uh, Mr. Trump, but others. But but now uh, it appears that the House, uh, you know, will be selecting a Republican uh, as their leader. And I guess they've been making some noise about trying to undercut the work that the prior, you know, House has done on January 6th. Does that raise your concern that uh, you know, all this investigation may may come to naught with the Republicans in control of the House? Yeah, that is a deep concern. 
Um, particularly since, you know, it's not even clear at this point if we will have a functioning house. They haven't been able to elect a, a speaker yet. Um, so it's deeply concerning that now that the January 6th committee, I assume, is their work is done, um, I would like to see, you know, that committee start up in the Senate um, if there's more investigation to be done. But at the end of the day, you know, the FBI and the Justice Department, they have the power to make decisions. And we want to let them know that they have the people behind them if their goal is accountability. And so there are some people who are saying that we don't want to set a bad president. We don't want to, you know, look a certain way for going after a former president. Um, at the end of the day, though, you know, we're here to say that we want justice. And I believe that justice looks like people who committed crimes going to prison. And we know that Donald Trump has done some dubious things. He's paid less in taxes than I have in New York State. And that's a problem. So we're here to say that we're watching what's happening. And we want to make sure that the people who committed acts of violence um, that, you know, spurred act, incited acts of violence, that they're held account. You know, one thing I, I remarked that uh, since um, Mr. Trump's rather poor showing in the midterm elections, it does seem the Republican Party leadership uh, is more willing to publicly, you know, jettison him um, rather than him being an albatross around the neck in the upcoming elections. You, you talk about, you know, protecting, restoring, strengthening democracy. What could Congress do at this point? And is there particular things that it might be valuable for the New York state legislature to do to strengthen uh, voting rights? Yeah, I mean, New York state could also pass the Freedom to Vote Act. There is a bill that has been um, circulated previously, and that could be introduced and um, passed as legislation. Um, there's still, you know, I'm not well versed in all the, the laws that could be strengthened, but as a member of the League of Women Voters myself, um, I have noticed that we don't, only until recently did we have great, more protections for voters in elections. I have myself have been a victim of um, disenfranchisement in New York State. Things have gotten a lot better, um, but there's still things like making sure that if you turn up to the wrong polling station, that you can still vote at that station. Um, you know, increasing the amount of days to vote beforehand that you can register to vote uh, up until even maybe the day of. If you're able to vote, why shouldn't you be able to? Um, so there's a lot of things that New York State can do to protect our right to vote. Um, but nationally, I think there's really a need for Congress to act because we have gerrymandering, we have the Electoral College. Um, I'm not here to advocate for any particular legislation, but you know, at the end of the day, we really, we also really need to see people who are powerful, people who are wealthy, when they do illegal things, we need to see that they are held accountable and that they suffer some consequences because you and I suffer consequences. If I incite a riot, I'm going to prison. And so, you know, if this is really a country that is um, everyone's equal under the eyes of the law, then we need to act like it. Or we need to admit that we're not really who we say we are, and then we can go from there. You know, just on a, a quick personal note, um, you know, I always point out that the United States is the only democracy or so-called democracy on the planet that actually has only two major uh, national parties. Even the other two parties 
countries that did not use proportional representation, Canada and England have allowed um, third parties to emerge. And very surprised at 538, you know, political analysis attributed to lack of third parties as a major cause of the lack of democracy in the United States. But for this rally or event on January 6th at 5 p.m., should people bring signs? Will there be speakers? Where do people go? How, how can people participate? Sure, yeah, people can join us. So we're gonna be meeting at East Capitol Park. Um, you can bring signs if you'd like. Um, if you want to get in touch, um, I can give you my email and I can print a sign for you or send you a PDF that you can print out and bring with you. Um, I'd say bring a flashlight because we're not gonna be handing out candles. So this is gonna be an electronic light visual. Um, and that just decreases the chance of burning the place down. So we're just going to be doing um, artificial light. And other than that, you don't need to bring anything. Uh, speakers are still being um, confirmed, but we're going to have people from the associated groups speaking. And and yeah, all are welcome. And this is just to you know stand together in solidarity and be grateful for the democracy that we live in, you know, it's not perfect, but it has been made better over the years. People, what's your email if you want to contact you? Sure. My email is going to be elisha.bacon at mothersoutfront.org. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A dot B-A-C-O-N at mothersoutfront.org. This has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Well, speaking of the right to vote, I, I will note that the Rinsic County um, chair, the Republican chair of the Board of Elections, recently resigned because he's going to plead guilty to for uh, election fraud. And what was really strange is literally the same day that he notified the court that he was changing his plea, um, the legislature voted to reappoint him as chair of the Board of Elections. And what's also strange is that every Democrat, other than Peter Grimm and Cindy Doran, also voted to reappoint him despite the indictment. So get to the Capitol, perhaps, to express your viewpoints about democracy. But democracy is also under risk here in Rensselaer County. For our peace segment, Mark talks with Jack Gilroy of Binghamton Peace Action and Veterans for Peace about events taking place on Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, highlighting his opposition to militarism. We're joined today for our peace bucket by uh, Jack Gilroy, uh, who is uh, active out in the Binghamton area with um, uh, Veterans for, for Peace. Um, and uh, he's going to tell me the other group in just a moment. But we uh, asked Jack to, to come on to talk about a couple of events that they have planned uh, in the near future, including a number of events around the uh, Martha the King's uh, birthday. Jack's been very active in the uh, the campaign, I believe, about uh, you know drones. But Jack, why don't you just tell me, I know, what is the other group you're also involved with besides Veterans of Peace and you know, why are you focusing on uh, Martha Luther King's day? Okay, sure, uh, Mark. Uh, there, Actually, we like to work in solidarity with a variety of the peace and justice groups. And the other group that I mentioned uh, uh, earlier when we wrote was uh, Peace Action of uh, Broome County. And Peace Action, of course, the large 
national organization, but uh, we're very active with peace action uh, here in uh, the southern tier of New York. So I, I pretty much act as a uh, as an events coordinator rather than take some title. Uh, you know, that's that's my job, and I do it for both uh, peace action and for Veterans for Peace chapter. Uh, Chapter 90. I'm also active with uh, Upstate Drone Action uh, out of Syracuse. In fact, uh, I have spent more time in uh, the Jamesville Penitentiary than anybody else in, uh, in the group. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I do a lot. We, we have some things you might want to question later as to what we have planned with the Upstate Drone Action people. Uh, we also, of course, uh, are very, very active with Band Killer Drones. Dot org. That's ban killer drones, all one word. Dot org, and uh, some of the members of Ban Killer Drones and uh, Rising Up will be involved in uh, in an activity in honor of Martin Luther's King, Martin Luther King's uh, very strong voice in opposition to militarism, especially during the Vietnam War. I mean, that's going to be in Times Square on uh, the fourteenth of. Uh, on the 14th of January, which is Saturday, and it will be at uh, at 12 noon. And it'll be down around uh, uh, at times, not just at Times Square, but uh, 7th Avenue, Broadway and 7th Avenue, between 46th and 47th Street, if anybody is looking for it. And if anyone would like to talk to the uh, Rising Together uh, group that we are in solidarity with, they're just a great group in New York City. Do fantastic uh, street theater. And uh, a fellow by the name of Zool, Paul Zokowitz, uh, his number for anyone from the New York City area or Albany or whatever who might want to go there, the best information they could get would be from Zool. And he uh, he has his number out for anybody to check out. It's 718-964-7643. And I'll repeat that. It's Zool, Z-O-O-L, and his number is 718-964-7643. It should be really uh, an excellent event. Now, uh, many people, of course, are aware about Martin Luther King and his uh, leadership of the civil rights movement. And uh, certainly here uh, in New York State, and particularly in the Capital District, we have the Poor People's Campaign, which also emphasizes his role in you know, pushing for you know, economic justice and, and, and jobs and to stop discrimination and hiring. But you, you raise the issue of militarism. And I, I think people know that, uh, you know, towards the end of his life, before he was assassinated, he became quite active and vocal against the Vietnam War. But, you know, what was some of his, you know, vision in terms of, you know, trying to stop the militarism uh, in the United States? Yeah, well, he so you know he irritated a lot of uh, his own uh, members, uh, his own group, uh, you know, the civil rights people who who said he was off focus, that uh, he has no right. They, they told him to be jumping into something that is not uh, the business of the civil rights movement, which is racism and trying to right the wrongs of all those horrible things that have occurred, you know, in the history of black people in the country. And Martin Luther King didn't back down from the civil rights, obviously, uh, but he said, I cannot be silent. And uh, that major speech that he gave uh, at the Riverside Church, uh, April 4th in uh, 1967, uh, he, he made the statement that is so outstanding that we will have it on our banner 
when we are uh, when we have our event here uh, in two weeks in Binghamton, and we'll have it on uh, a banner up in Syracuse when we're at the Dome on the on January 22nd for the biggest Martin Luther King dinner they they claim in the USA, and that statement is what he said at the Riverside Church in that uh, that speech. The greatest purveyor of violence in the world is my own government. And later on in that paragraph, he said, I cannot be silent. Uh, when we made up the banner, some of our, our folks said, we don't want to put I cannot be silent in there uh, we, because that sort of is disjointed from uh, from it. I disagreed, but I, I, I gave in and said, uh, you know, OK, we'll just use the, uh, the statement, the focus that uh, of the greatest purveyor of violence in the world is my own government. Remember that he was killed one year from the day that he said that, right? Uh, one year from the day. And remember as well, what a lot of people don't take into consideration is that in a civil suit in Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, that the King family won their case that the United States government was involved in his assassination. And that can be checked out. Go online, anybody, and check it out. It's something, again, that is very often uh, neglected to be said. So, yeah, militarism uh, could very well be the thing that led uh, to the uh, death of Martin Luther King by certain groups within the United States government. Now, I, I know we have an active uh, peace action chapter here in the Capital District, and, and certainly John Amidon. And others with veterans of peace have been, you know, fighting the drone war. But you know, probably two big issues we've talked a bit about recently. One is that once again on an annual basis, the United States just adopted the largest military budget ever, getting, you know, close to a trillion dollars, probably above a trillion if you actually threw all the stuff in it. And then of course there is the ongoing war uh, in the Ukraine, and and certainly I think most people would would condemn Russia for having invaded. Uh, the Ukraine, but at the same time, I think many people understand uh, that to a certain extent, the largest extent, the United States has turned uh, the war in the Ukraine into a proxy war against Russia. So, what so what are some of the messages this year at Martha King's event that you hope that our you know federal elected officials you know grasp in terms of the peace issue? Yeah, I, I think there are many, Mark. Uh, you know, I, I think that what you just mentioned the. Uh, uh, the budget, which is roughly a trillion dollars, uh, and you know, twelve billion of that was supposed to be for uh, child care, uh, a special bill that was was supposed to end poverty among children. And part of the whole campaign of uh, Reverend Baker uh, and what he is doing with the Poor People's Campaign, but they couldn't come up with twelve billion dollars. But they can come up with. 10 billion, 20 billion, 30 billion for the Ukraine, for the war in the Ukraine. And of course, uh, they went 40 billion over what the Pentagon itself actually asked for. So it's kind of a weird uh, system that we live in in the United States that Martin Luther King for sure knew that this whole idea of militarism was tied in with racism and with poverty. They were the three major evils that he he looked upon. And so it so very often, however, uh, his role of militarism is shunned by uh, many people, including civil rights groups, including the NAACP and others who feel they don't want to get into that argument. Here we are, you know, uh, 60 years later and still uh, still trying to get uh, the issue out that Martin Luther King, you know, died because of his particular views in reference to the robbing of the people 
the uh, the robbing of American poor uh, by uh, militarism. So I think if that can be drawn in uh, to the discussions, that would be good. But it's up to the people themselves at the event. We'll have an open microphone on on the 14th in in addition to one or two uh, you know speakers. Uh, hopefully, we'll have people from the uh, uh, black community, from the uh, uh, from the NAACP, or from the Urban League, and we're really trying to get them to step up and and to join us on on, uh, on the 14th. Well, well, we only have 20 seconds left. We've been talking with Jack Gilroy, uh, Binghamton area uh, peace action, veterans of peace, uh, upstate drone action. Jack, people want more information quickly. Any website they can look at. Yeah, they could go to uh, bcpeaceaction.org, bcpeaceaction.org. Thank you, Jack, for joining us. And this has been uh, Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk uh, Magazine. And I'm sure the uh, Hudson Mohawk Magazine um, will be covering the various uh, Martha King events here in the uh, Capital District. Uh, we do the Peace Bucket every Wednesday, at least the initial broadcast. And you can go on to mediasanctuary.org, top right, search, type in peace, and you see all our peace events. And for those just tuning in, I'm Mark Dunlight. And I'm Sally Becker. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy. W-O-O-G-L-P 92.7 FM Troy, W-O-O-S-L-P 98.9 FM Schenectady, and W-O-O-A-L-P 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. It's a new year, and we've got some new books for you. In this segment, recorded before holiday break, Bria Barthel talks with Lori Dreyer at the Lansingburg branch of the Troy Public Library about books about Indigenous peoples and a children's book about hearing snow. I'm at the Lansingburg branch of Troy Public Library with the uh, branch manager, Lori Dreyer, and she has a bunch of books to share with us. So, Lori, take it away. Thank you, Brea. Uh, well, I wanted to start, you just grabbed this one off of the shelf, and it sounds like such a great book. It's called 10 Ways to Hear Snow, written by Kathy Camper and illustrated by Kennard Peck. And uh, it is about a little girl going out uh, the morning after a snowstorm and listening to all the different sounds that she hears, like the whooshing of the wind and the poof of the snow falling from the trees. And just because we had such a lovely snowstorm, I uh, noticed when I was sitting at my desk looking out the window, I kept seeing the snow falling from the trees and it was just beautiful. It created this arc and I wanted to be out there listening to it too. So I recommend uh, this 10 Ways to Hear Snow uh, for everybody who's trying to get into the uh, winter spirit. And for people who listen to snow rather than see it. So yes. thank you for adding that. And now to the ones that you had selected for 
November, Indigenous Peoples Month, except we didn't get to meet in November because of technical problems. We did not. And that was disappointing because I had just finished reading the Indigenous Peoples History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, uh, which is a very well-known book on Native American history. Um, so I, I have to start with, did you know that there are more than 500 federally recognized indigenous nations comprising nearly 3 million people, all of whom are descendants of the 15 million native people who once inhabited what is now known as the United States of America? Because I didn't. (laughs) I had also never heard about the occupation of Alcatraz Island in the 1960s, uh, which eventually led to the creation of a learning center in Northern California called DQ University. This is particularly astounding to me because I grew up less than 10 miles away from this university. Uh, the, the amazing things that I learned from this book's book cannot be understated. And, uh, So I wanted to recommend it absolutely as a fantastic history book. And it also got me thinking a lot more about Native authors and the stories uh, behind the stories that we hear. I had mentioned in one of our earlier interviews a few months ago, the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian, which also kind of blew my mind because I had never really thought about a lot of the things that he brings up in that book as aspects of living on a reservation. So in light of that, I have some recommendations for everybody. We're going to start with some fiction books. Um, The first one is The Firekeeper's Daughter, which you may have heard of. It's by Angeline Bowley, that's B-O-U-L-L-E-Y. 18-year-old Donis is an outsider in her hometown and the nearby Ojibwe reservation. Donis plans to go to college are put on hold when she witnesses a murder and is pulled into the middle of an FBI investigation. This is full of suspense and social conscience. This book has become a classic of both mystery and native fiction. The next one is Where the Dead Sit Talking by Brandon Hobson. This is a lyrical coming-of-age story set in rural Oklahoma in the late 1980s. And when his single mother is put in jail, uh, Sequoia is placed in foster care. He has spent years mostly keeping to himself, living with his emotions pressed deep below the surface, that is, until... He meets the 17-year-old Rosemary. They bond over their shared Native American backgrounds and tumultuous paths through the foster care system. Night of the Living Res. So you had mentioned Sherman Alexie's absolutely true story of a part-time Indian. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that's often on the list of banned books, right? It is indeed. That was one of the reasons I wanted to read it. Uh, It's listed often as a young adult book, uh, which is amazing if you've read it. It has a lot of adult themes, but the way that it's presented and because its narrator is, I think he's 12 when the book begins, um, it just has this really great way of telling the stories so that they're not, I mean, they're still tragic, but they're not just heart-wrenching. Like it's a very uplifting book. 
Okay. And now back to the other book that you were talking about. Absolutely. Uh, so this one is called Night of the Living Res by Morgan Talty, which just sounds like a fantastic or it's a great title, I guess. Uh, this is Talty's debut collection, and it's 12 different stories that all take place in the same Penobscot community in uh, the state of Maine. Uh, so that people will find those stories to be both profoundly moving, intimate, as well as examining the consequences and merits of inheritance. Um, it's an unforgettable portrayal of a Native community and has received top top ratings. Sounds like a great selection of books. And you have another one? I do. I do. Uh, Tread of Angels by Rebecca Roanhorse. You may uh, recognize Roanhorse's name because she wrote the wildly popular fiction book Black Sun in 2020. Uh, And this book is not a sequel to that book, but is a mythical version of the West taking place in 1883. And we read the tale of two sisters who are defending themselves against a charge of murder. So one of the sisters is accused of murder and the other one is going to be defending her. And of course the victim, the victim is a virtue. One of the celestial highborn class of the city of Goetia which is where the book takes place. Obviously, this is a high fantasy. This is Roan Horse's, uh, her, her, her calling is to write amazing dark fantasy novels for all of us to enjoy. And this one has been described as breathtaking. Sounds very interesting. And next... Uh, Yes, so this is the only other, besides the Indigenous People's History of the United States, this is the only other nonfiction book on uh, on the list, and that is because it is fascinating to me, Um, and it sounds much more, it's much more light, you know, anything dealing with Native American history has a tendency, obviously, for obvious reasons, to, to go to places and tell us truths that we don't want to hear about. And this one brings a little lightness to this, to that subject. It's called, We Had a Little Real Estate Problem, The Unheralded Story of Native Americans and Comedy. It is written by Cliff Nesteroff, who is well known on his own for writing a history, like kind of the definitive history of stand-up comedy. Um, And while Cliff is not himself native, he did get support and stories from several native authors such as Stephen Graham Jones, David Truer, and Philip J. Deloria. He he was acclaimed for both this book and his other book on uh, stand-up comedy history. And he talks about comedy's most significant and little-known stories, how despite having been denied representation in the entertainment industry, Native Americans have influenced and and in fact advanced the art form. The title, based on Charlie Hill's famous comedy routine, says it all, and I think makes the best argument for reading this book. Great. And all of those books are available at the Lansingburg branch of Troy Public Library. And if people want to find it, the hours that you're open or more information on the books, if they're in, in um, circulation, how can they get information? Absolutely. It's very easy. You go to our website, www.thetroylibrary.org. And the Lansingburg branch is at the corner of 
It's uh, 114th Street and 4th Avenue. Uh, we're just down the street from Snowman Ice Cream, which sadly is not currently open. But we are. <laughs> okay. And it's a very cool building to walk around. It used to be a school. And Herman Melville was one of these students here? He was. Uh, and Chester Arthur was one of the principal teachers. So uh, thanks a lot. That was Lori Dreyer, the uh, branch manager of the Lansingburg branch of Troy Public Library. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks a lot, Lori. Thank you, Bria. And if you wanted to get the names of all those books, you can just uh, go to mediasanctuary.org and look for the uh, story by uh, Bria. Uh, I will say the two of the books she mentioned early on, one was the Indigenous People's History of the United States by Dunbar Ortiz, and the other one was Ten Ways to Hear Snow by Camper. Up next, our roaming labor correspondent, Willie Terry, interviewed Mind Body Soul studio owner Fatima A. Horn about the Toys for Tots Toy Pickup Day, held on December 17th. This is Willie Terry, your Roman label correspondent for the Hustle Mohawk Network. And I'm here today at 40 Colvin Avenue, where they're having a Christmas giveaway to the kids. I have as my guest. Hi, this is Fatima Horn, the uh, owner of Mind, Body, Soul Studio, where we're hosting the this year's annual Anna Wednesday, uh Toys for Tots Toy Pickup Day. Right. And uh, just tell me something about the uh, Mind Body Studio. Well, the Mind Body Studio is a holistic um, health uh, guidance and movement location for our community. This is one thing in the community that we've not had before. You know, we've had a lot of Western medication, but now it's time to go holistic and start using plants and um, other options to heal ourselves other than, you know, the pharmaceuticals and the drugs and things. Those were okay, but there are other ways as well. So we, we're here to guide folks through that whole process. Fatima, how did you get started in this? Well, we got started um, in 2019 when we um, were working to expose the community to um, uh, the uh, cannabis. You know, many people have uh, their own notions about what it is, but it was legalized in 2019, and so we wanted to expose folks to that. And then we branched into the wellness industry because we saw after COVID, our community was hit very, very hard um, by COVID. And that's because of the, you know, the conditions that we were dealing with, a lot of heart disease, diabetes, and um, there's a need, you know, fatty liver, kidney issues, um, so and even uh, chronic um, you know, paralyzing issues. So we needed to really approach that in the community because we need to do something better. We need a time for a change. Mm-hmm. So tell me some about the uh, event here today. Mm-hmm. Well, we are hosting this year's um, Anawansay annual uh, toy pickup day, which is also sponsored by Toys for Tots. We're happy to have some additional really active sponsors with us, Made to Believe Network. We have H. Bosch in here as the dynamic Santa Claus. Oh, he is the best Santa Claus by far, and we got him here. Um, we It's also sponsored by um, Anchor Home Health, and who has brought us some lovely dolls and other things that we're giving away to the children in the community. So why do you think it's important to have this this 
kind of event this year? Oh, it's it's always important to take care of our children. Mm-hmm. You know, we at Anna Wednesday, I'm a member of Anna Wednesday, that's about eight women who are um, from the diaspora as well as from Africa who have band together mm-hmm. to actually give back to the community. And so um, we do that in a number of ways. You know, this is one, the uh, holiday giveaway, but we also do a backpack giveaway. And we also um, give a uh, give on Mother's Day when we give um, a very nice dinner. We go to a shelter, offer a dinner and some love and flowers to the moms there. So this is another way of just communicating and being with our community and supporting the community. This, we have to do this. So what's been the response of the community? The, the response, as you can see, they have been coming through all day. We are so excited to see everyone, wishing them a happy holiday, seeing the kids with smiles on their faces. They're taking pictures with Santa Claus and having a wonderful time. The weather has held up for us, so we are so excited with this day. And I see you decorated. You, uh, you can't see her on this, but <laughs> she got on earrings that are flashing and some very, very colorful outfits. Yes, we are Santa's helpers. So, you know, we had to deck out. If Santa's decked, we got to be decked too. Yes. Welcome, welcome. Go on in. Yeah, people sti- still coming in. Happy holidays. Mm-hmm. And you say you do events like this all during the year? Yes, we do events like this all during the year. And also we have our annual fundraiser, so keep a lookout for information. Coming March 18th, we do our annual fundraising gala, which is during International Women's Day. And it is a, a fun night. I mean, a fantastic night. People are being honored. Um, we have our Women of Inspiration. We give out scholarship to um, a number of um, high school graduates. Um, we also have a kids' fashion show. I mean, there's so much going on, and we have a wonderful time. You know, we're dancing into the night. Let's say someone wants to uh, get in touch with you to probably to be part of this. How could they get in touch with you? Okay, well, we are a small organization, but we always like to have Anna Wednesday, uh, friends of friends of Anna Wednesday. So if you want to do that, just give us a call. Um, you can uh, reach us at Anna Wednesday Women, A-N-A-N-U, A-N-Z-E-H, Women, W-O-M-E-N, dot com. Anu and Zay women.com. Just hit us up and let us know that you want to be involved. All right. Well, let's go ahead and tell me that again. Okay. You know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the disparities in the health care system, our access to um, good health care, also access to screenings and things like that. And, yeah, we've suffered for many years with the disparities, right? The health system hasn't done right by the African-American um, individuals. So it's time that we take control back into our own hands. And that's what we're here to coach people in doing that, right? To take it back into our own hands because God gave us everything that we need within our bodies, within our body and on this land, right? For what we need to heal ourselves. And you say you have a Technical. Yes, we do a bioscan. It's it comes from Eastern uh, medicine. It's been around since the 80s, but it hasn't been in our community. Mm-hmm. So Wakana and Mind Body Soul Studio is bringing it here to our community. But we need more people to experience it, experience it, get the information, get educated, and then start telling their friends and family so that we can spread this word of healing ourselves and healing our community. Mm-hmm. 
So do you do uh, speaking engagements? Oh yes, I yeah, I'll be happy to come and do speaking engagements. I I want to get really in contact with those individuals who are you know part of the health community, who are interested in improving the heart health, you know eliminating eliminating heart, you know the leading cause of death in our community is heart disease. Our people are dying way too soon. You may know folks that have left in their forties, in their thirties, in their fifties, sixties. We're supposed to be living till one hundred and twenty. <laughs> and we have the ability, the African-American population, the African-American population, we are the fountain of youth. People have been looking for the fountain of youth forever. But look at us. You can't tell our age, right? So we need to reverse our biological age. Stop depending on the chronological age and assuming that because the, the sun revolves and you get older each year, that that has to come with some health health problems. That's not the case. You know, our cells are recreating every 15 years. But if the environment that it's recreating in is unhealthy, then that those cells are going to be unhealthy as well. So we want to educate people on how to reverse their biological age. Get back to the condition where your body was not um, um, needing drugs, surgeries, all of that. That was in our prime before, right? Right. Our bodies were there. There's no reason why our bodies can't be there now. And so that we can reverse the conditions that um, has been going on in the past. Now, what's going to be on this whole COVID about? With COVID? I mean, COVID um, attacked our immunities. And those individuals that had the... um, the heart disease, right? Those who had heart disease, asthma, um, allergies, um, low immune systems and everything, those are the ones that that suffered. Diabetes, right? And that's what's prominent in our community. And that's why we saw so many of us leaving, right, during that time. So COVID isn't the last thing over the track. There are many things that are still coming along, right? So we need to get ready as a community for those things that are coming um, that are coming our way. Right. Yes, and that's now, what we're trying to do, educate the community so that we don't go through the same thing that we did in 2020. Yeah. Every single day I was on Facebook saying, I'm sorry for your loss, I'm sorry for your loss, I'm sorry for your loss. And honestly, it's still going on. It's still happening because I'm still looking at people who were just a young lady just the other day in her 40s, if that just left Mm -hmm. you know so these are preventable conditions that we really need to get ahead of Now, your organization, uh, are they just doing this in New York, New York, or oh, no, is there this is going all, all over the country. country? All over the country. Wakana for Life is a national uh, company. Okay. It was okay. founded by four African-American women mm-hmm. back in 2019, April right. of 2019. And since then, their goal is to um, enhance the health and wealth of our community. Mm-hmm. So yes, we've been doing this since 2019, and it's all across the country. You can get a bioscan. You can come in and get a holistic health assessment all across this country um, in communities like ours. Okay. All right, Fatina, I don't want to hold you longer. That's and fine. I'm to get back Happy in to now. talk with you. Thank but you. Thank you for that information. Yes, thank you. Right, I didn't know. <laughs> so that was the first of three segments from Roman labor correspondent Willie Terry about the recent Toys for Tots Toy Pickup Day held uh, December 17th. And we should mention that the uh, 
Santa Claus for this event was our own Husband Mohawk host and producer, H. Bosch Jr. For our last segment, St. Rocco's Poetry Collective is holding their annual marathon reading of Midwinter Day, a poem about the town of Lenox. The event will take place Saturday, January 7th at the Lenox Public Library from 1 to 5 p.m. Moses Nagel spoke with Alexis Bagat about the event. My name is Lex Bagat, and I am a member of St. Rocco's Poetry Collective in Albany, New York. St. Rocco's Poetry Collective is a group of poets, me, uh, Kenning J.P. Garcia, and Douglas Rothschild, who organize an invitational reading series in Albany. When we were founded in 2016, we were a writer's workshop and reading series, and we used to organize a reading once a month from September through June since pandemic. We've been doing them like in the warm months, and this year we're going to be doing readings like every other month. So our next reading, um, well, we have this one in January coming up on Saturday, but but our next regular reading in Albany is going to be on February 11th. And we invite poets to who are traveling or friends who live throughout the Northeast to come to Albany and read. We try to program two to four readers for each reading and find a local poet to join them for the reading. Okay, what is coming up this weekend? This weekend is our fifth annual Midwinter Day Marathon Reading, and it's going to be a very special one. It's our first one back in person. Uh, We did it on Zoom the last two years, and Midwinter Day is a very special book. It's one of the greatest books of American literature, I think. Hope it's okay. I I stand by that. It's um yeah, it's one of the greatest works of American literature, and it was written in one day on December twelfth, nineteen seventy eight, at one hundred Main Street in Lenox, Mass. Alice Notley writes on in the blurb on the back of the book. It's an epic poem about a daily routine, but it starts with dreaming and waking up. And if you'll let me read the dream part later, I'm going to read you a little passage about dreams. And so five years ago, this um. This woman, Becca Claver, who had been organizing a whole bunch of English literature people to sort of celebrate Bernadette's life and work, they were calling on literature groups all over the world to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Midwinter Day by reading the whole book in one day. And St. Rocco's was really fortunate to host the Midwinter Day Marathon that Bernadette attended in person because she lives, she lived until last month, until November uh, in Rensselaer County and had read a few times at St. Rocco's. And so she came to join us for, for our reading. And we all had just such a great time that it became an annual tradition that we all kind of looked forward to to start the winter. It was like our holiday get together was to have the, the Midwinter Day Marathon. And during the pandemic, we did on Zoom and last year, Bernadette um, became very sick with cancer. Last year's reading, a year ago, was a big fundraiser for her medical expenses. And this year, we weren't sure if we were going to do it at all. And then in November, you know, a few folks started reaching out to us to ask if we were going to do it. And then we we sent a message to Bernadette. You know, we decided we were going to do it if we had her blessing, you know, as long as she was down with it and if her kids want to maybe come and join us and we got to hear from her a few days before she died that um you know she thought it was great if we do it we were looking for where to do it and, and I reached out to um Matt from the bookstore in Lenox to think about doing it in Lenox and she thought if we did it in Lenox that was just 
so beautiful. And then a few days later, she died. And so now we're still doing it. Every, um, Matt from the bookstore in Lenox was like, you know, we have to have a celebration for Bernadette. This is the perfect celebration. And so we're we're getting together for the, for our fifth annual Midwinter Day Marathon, which will also be a, a memorial for Bernadette. And um, yeah, we hope to celebrate this great writer, but also remember her and her life. And a lot of the people who took care of her, there were a lot of, you know, neighbors in Nassau and uh, New Lebanon and also poet friends long ago who took care of her and were important to her in the last year and many of them are going to come and join us to read so it's going to be a it's going to be a really um special event i would love for you to read a little passage that would be great um as an introduction to that can you explain just briefly why you claim that this is one of the great american works of literature why do i i mean um well uh you know, I'm 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 uh, biased. Most of my favorite works of great American literature are like these, like long far. You know, like Patterson. Come on, you know, Patterson the the story of a city which tells the story of America, and uh, and there's a way that Bernadette's poem, you know, is in this vein of long poems. You know, it just is telling the tale of an ordinary woman, an ordinary Mother's Day. You know, from waking up and going through the routines of life cooking, taking care of the kids, heading out for a little stroll at some point and uh, corresponding with her friends, thinking about other parts of her life, thinking about her children's futures. All these things are all kind of worked into verse. And um, the other reason I'm biased is that I am really into kind of um, the revolution in literature that moves subjectivity from heroes to regular people. You know, Mayakovsky said that after the revolution, poetry will be made from the speech of the masses. Midwinter Day is not the speech of the masses. It is not regular people just talking. What it is is the journals of one ordinary person, right? It's the journals of one woman. So not a diary of a writer, but, you know, it's an effort towards that whole revolution that moves the the story writer from the teller of the heroes to the the tellers of everybody so so yeah i was just going to read from page two where she wakes up is that okay yes please okay cool so yeah so page two she's remembering her dream so can i tell you what i saw in sleep in dreams and what dreams were before your returning arms took me like a memory to the room I always return to. When thought turns to memory's best love, I learn to deny desire from an acquired habit, a vigilant fear, till again to my nurse pleasure, you and this love reappear like a story. Let me tell you what I saw. Listen to me. You must be, you are the beginning of the day when we're both asleep. You waken me. I made of you, and you must hear what I say. First, I thought I saw people all around me wondering what is it i write i saw up close the faces of animals i slid down a long grassy hill past everyone doing everything i'm going faster there was no streets to cross no dignity lost a long story without pausing i was racing no one approved of what i was learning i saw a woman's daughter we met on the stairs i saw everything that was ever hidden or happening i saw that my daughters were older than me But I wanted to see further. Nobody, including you, of all the people doing things was approving of my sliding like this down the long, tilting hill. Past the place to play and all the past, I saw the moon's last quarter in the southern sky at dawn. 
Then I saw the shawls of the dream as if they were the sky and the dream's dark vests and the dream's collar and cuffs of black leather on the dream's black leather jackets. I was alone in the dream's dressing room, trying on different styles of tough gang wear and rain gear. In my dream, my daughters Sophia and Marie are always with me. And then we climb a mountain to the Metcalf's house. Nancy fixing us the 18 intricate courses of a Japanese dinner. We sit at a counter, curving around the kitchen, like what they call a kidney-shaped pool, eating hearts of hearts of heads of wet red and green lettuce in the most high and palmy state of friendly love. Then Paul takes us all on a trip. And it goes on and on like that, endlessly. And that's what that's what our reading is. Marie, one of the daughters there, will, will be joining us to read. But yeah, we just we just go on. <laughs> so the whole thing goes on, and you go in and out of the book. And when we did it on Zoom, it was a little faster. <laughs> but it takes us a little over four hours in person. And that's the wow. snap of the book. The other thing about why it's so important is the influence it's had, you know, on just so many women writers. And that's why, and I mean, writers in general, but especially like American women writers. And so that was the reason for the celebration that happened in 2018 was for all these women who felt like Bernadette showed them a way to be and to frame a book um, to sort of celebrate her and, and talk about her influence. So. All right, remind us uh, where and when one more time. Yeah, please. sure. So this is St. Rocco's 5th Anniversary Midwinter Day Marathon. It is going to be on Saturday, January 8th. And Midwinter Day itself is her word for solstice. And so we usually do it on the 21st or 22nd. But this year we're doing it on January 8th. It was a little bit more time after her death um, to get it organized. And um, it's going to be at the Lennox Public Library. The Lenox Public Library is at 18 Main Street in Lenox, Massachusetts. We're organizing it together with with Matt from the bookstore in Lenox, and the bookstore in Lenox will be open, and folks are going to be sort of gathering there before and after. The, the bookstore in Lenox now has a little cafe attached to it, so that's kind of the place for people to hang out and have something to eat or drink. And that is around the corner from the library at 11 Housatonic Street in Lenox, Mass. So that was Moses Nagel with uh, Alexis Bagat, and now will be a celebration of the life of uh, Bernadette Mayer with um, reading of her epic poem, Midwinter Day, Jan- Saturday, January 7th. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sally Becker. And I'm Mark Dunley. Our engineer was Senia Basila Hickey. We want to thank all the volunteers who have made this episode possible. Today's contributors included Bria Barthel, Willie Terry, Moses Nagel, Sally Becker, and myself. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Until next time.